Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Cast of Kings, an unofficial podcast covering the HBO original series Game of Thrones. My name is David Chen, and I'm editor at large at slashfilm.com, and I have never read any of George R.R. R. Martin's books from A Song of Ice and Fire. My name is Joanna Robinson. I'm the features editor at pajiba.com, and I've read every single book in the series A Song of Ice and Fire. And we're here today to discuss season two, episode one of Game of Thrones entitled The North Remembers. If you'd like to find all of our episodes of A Cast of Kings, just go to gameofthronespodcast.com. You can also email us at acastofkings at gmail.com. So, big night last night, season premiere of Game of Thrones. Uh, Joanna, did you marathon something to, to lead up to this Game of Thrones premiere? I did indeed. All weekend on and off, I watched season one and then leading right up to... Season two, we watched, uh, some friends came over, we watched, yeah, the last four episodes of last season. Pretty good episodes they were as well. And so, uh, and this season certainly picks right up from, uh, from that season. I would surmise that it seems as though like a couple of weeks slash months have passed since the end of last season, um, but not that much time, right? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. It, nothing like six months or something. Just like a little bit of time, but not too much. And it really just picks right up. Um, so we begin uh, this episode seeing Joffrey uh, on his name day, torturing people to death as usual. And uh, certainly fits right in with his character. And then finally, uh, after an interminable period in which we don't know if. Uh, the guy he's torturing is going to die. Peter Dinklage shows up as Tyrion Lannister. Now, Peter Dinklage is now, I think, a lead actor on the show, if I'm not mistaken. Like his, yeah, he's, he's, like, he's top built. Top built on the show. And uh, well-deserved. He won an Emmy last season. Uh, and uh, soon confronts his sister, Cersei Lannister, about some of the unfortunate developments that have been going on at King's Landing. I would like to know how you tricked father into this. If I were capable of tricking father, I'd be emperor of the world by now. You brought this on yourself. I've done nothing. Quite right. You did nothing. When your son called for Ned Stark's head. Now the entire North has risen up against us. I tried to stop it. Did you? You failed. That bit of theater will haunt our family for a generation. Rob Stark is a child. Who's won every battle he's fought? Do you understand we're losing the war? What do you know about warfare? Nothing. But I know people, and I know that our enemies hate each other almost as much as they hate us. Joffrey is king. Joffrey is king. You are here to advise him. I'm only here to advise him. And if the king listens to what I say, the king might just get his uncle Jamie back. How? You love your children. It's your one redeeming quality. That in your cheekbones. <laughs> Starks love their children as well. And we have two of them. One. One? Arya, little animal, she disappeared. Disappeared? What? In a puff of smoke? We had three stocks to trade. You chopped one's head off and let another escape. Father would be furious. Look on his face in that last scene is uh, pretty interesting. I mean, he doesn't get too flustered or surprised very frequently in this series, but uh, I do not think he was expecting that, that they had lost Arya. So uh, his look of shock and annoyance was pretty priceless. Um, 
overall, I'd say really strong opening to season two of Game of Thrones. And actually, before we even dive into individual scenes, Joanna, what did you think overall of this episode? I liked it a lot. It it was kind of a letdown coming off of all of the excitement at the end of season one, having marathoned it right before watching, um, because necessarily they have to give a lot of exposition, introduce new characters, you know, and really you just want to follow the characters that you already care about. And you're like, why am I meeting this new person over here? Um, yeah, I was listening to Fresh Air today, uh, David Bean Cooley, the TV critic, for that uh, show talking about one of the problems, quote unquote, problems with Game of Thrones is it's very slow, it's very deliberately paced, and it often introduces you to characters that, that you don't care about, right? Like you, you're just like, why am I dealing with these people who I don't even know? Uh, now, the thing is, Game of Thrones does do things to counteract uh, the effect of that, but, but overall, I would say that doesn't concern me too much because I so trust the creators of this show with how to plot a season and uh, how to plot each character's arc that I am totally okay with taking... Like, I just trust implicitly that when they introduce a new character, I'm just like, this character, uh, I'm going to care about him just because I trust you guys. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. (laughs) No, I agree that, you know, I I don't distrust them or their pacing, but, you know, it's harder to start at the beginning than all the excitement that came at the end of last season. So, necessarily, you know? No, I agree. And... I was talking to my sister the other day and she said that she did not watch Game of Thrones because they watched the first episode, she and her husband, and they couldn't get into it at all, the first episode of last season. And so I pitched it like this. I was like, it's like The Wire. You just, they're going to be all these characters, you won't know what's going on, and then eventually you'll love them all and know all their names. So, you know, the first couple episodes of The Wire every season, you sort of had to start over again a little bit and get back into the flow of things. Right, right. It's like a medieval version of The Wire, only with fantasy. But you are right that there is kind of a big come down from the end of last season. And, uh... Like, the the very last season, I should say, uh, did I mention that we, we're going to spoil everything through Season 2, Episode 1, but we will not be spoiling anything from future episodes, and that includes anything revealed in the books uh, from future episodes, because we're going to be evaluating this primarily as a television show. But uh, big come down from last season, because if you recall, last season ended with Daenerys Targaryen uh, emerging from the ashes of a flame, uh, completely unscathed with dragons... Uh, po- poised over her naked body, and that was a pretty spectacular ending, right? Right. But then this season picks up, and it's like, well, once the uh, big moment wears off, it's like, man, these dragons—they're pretty tiny; they can't do much. You got to feed them, you got to take care of them, and basically, she and her people are still kind of screwed, right? So that's what you see in this episode as well. Like she's pretty in a pretty desperate situation, uh, and so all that dragon stuff. Not quite what it's cracked up to be, at least not in the short term here. Right. Uh, so I agree with you about that. Yeah, you just got to hit the reset button, start over again, and hope that by you know episode 9 or 10, this thing is really going to build up and come to a head. But uh, yeah, going back to Tyrion being Hand of the King here, uh, he already starts to exercise his power right from the outset. Uh, and I assume Tyrion is a, a favorite character of yours, Joanna? Absolutely. Peter Dinklage is the best. Yeah, he's really good. I mean, uh, he's really uh, makes you feel his joie de vivre, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, (laughs) I I appreciate that. I can't say I'm crazy about the actress who plays his prostitute friend. 
uh, I just I don't know. I can't shake the feeling that she's not a very good actress. Uh, just because it seems like English is not her first language, and and you know what I mean. Am I the only one that feels that way? Maybe. Um, I saw her actually in a German film many years ago, and she was really she's a Turkish actress, I think, and she was really really good in that. And but it might be like Penelope Cruz, where she's much better in her native language and not as good when she's speaking English. But I like what she's done with the Shay character. It's um, it's a good character. It's nice to see Tyrion find someone that he can talk to and be comfortable with, and he's not playing a game with her. You know, whereas he's playing a game with everyone else. With her, he can just sort of relax. So. That's true. That's true, yeah. So we are actually introduced to new characters in this episode, uh, which is ambitious because, you know, the original uh, series or the season one was already pretty packed to the gills with lots of characters, right? So how are they going to introduce new characters and be able to balance everything out? Um, here's a clip from what I believe is Dragonstone. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah, Dragonstone, which was a new like I, I having listened to the Game of Thrones uh, theme song on my iPhone uh, literally hundreds of times. Uh, I, I noticed that there was something different in the opening music, and that's because they needed to change the opening credits to include uh, Dragonstone, which is kind of cool. Uh, but here is a clip from Dragonstone. All you men were named in the light of the seven. Is this how you treat the gods of your fathers? Are you so eager to spit on your ancestors? The smell of fear. Fear and piss and old bones. Do you want to stop me? Stop me. Shall be light bringer. Stannis Baratheon, warrior of light. Your sword awaits you. So that was a clip from Dragonstone. I believe that was Carice Van Houten playing the role, uh, the, the very beautiful and creepy. Uh, I, I don't know what her technical r- role is, um, but priestess or you know wizardess or whatever uh melisandra is her name right yeah yes and this is the first time that we meet uh what's his name baratheon the uh stannis Stannis baratheon who is mentioned a bunch of times last season but i don't think we ever met him is that correct that's correct and i and I got so excited when I heard the first announcement of casting was that they were going to cast Christopher Eccleston as Stannis Baratheon, and that would have been such good casting. And then for whatever reason, he he backed out. And Stephen Delane is is a great actor, but I was really excited for Christopher Eccleston in that role. So, uh, so let me ask you this question. Also, was Stannis did Stannis uh, Stannis appear in the first book uh, of A Song of Ice and Fire? Yes. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, he's at least he's covered much more, obviously, than he is in the first series of the television show. But I think they were really careful in the first season to mention him as much as possible. So he wouldn't be a surprise when he showed up. For Th- you. That being said, I did kind of find that a little bit frustrating about season one was that uh, Stark, Ned Stark, basically like based his whole life on trying to make Stannis the rightful heir to the throne. And, uh, like, I, you know, pro- probably lost his life because he tried to do that. Uh, and then we never got to meet Stannis. So that just felt weird to me. Do you know what I mean? He lost his life for so many reasons. No, that's Ned true. Was, Ned was such a bad politician. It was so sad. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he was like, look, Stannis is the true heir. And then Littlefinger, they had that little, they had that uh, sort of powwow where... Littlefinger's like, look, are you really going to try to pursue this? You know Stannis is probably not going to be a great king anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, but Ned was like, no, man, I got to you know, uphold the honor of the kingdom, blah, blah, blah. So it just felt weird to me that we didn't meet Stannis. But we meet him uh, in this episode. Right. He's apparently a stickler for grammar, like I am, <laughs> uh, which I thought was kind of amusing. That was weird. And we also learned that Melisandre, uh, it's, it seems as though they're introducing yet another fantasy element into this series which is mostly like a kind of medieval sword and sandal series but there are these uh, fantasy elements right that right, are, are convenient right. like um like the dragons obviously the comet in this episode um the dire wolves the dire wolves and now uh melisandre apparently has the ability to resist poison right is that that's i think what we're led to believe whether or not she actually does i don't know but but certainly that's the implication from this episode is that correct yeah yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, not really sure. This is, again, one of those things where we're not really sure what to make of this yet because we don't really know what's going to happen with these characters. Um, another character that I think is pretty crucial to the plot is Renly, right? He, who, right. Do, who does not make an appearance in this episode at all, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Only in, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but he, uh, from what I recall last season, he made a play for the throne and then fled when he, when he got like a sense that it would not pan out as he as he wanted it to this is what i was talking about with some of my friends last night when we were watching is part of one of the scandals or the you know the outrages about a difference between the book and the tv series last season was the overt homosexuality surrounding renly baratheon because you know he has his boyfriend the knight of flowers who goes down on him in season one um, and and this there was a big hue and cry because it's not overt in the books, but um, you know he <laughs> his knights are the rainbow knights. Like it's just it's I think it's pretty <laughs> obvious in the books. Fair enough. And um, so in this universe, in this Game of Thrones universe, uh, the rainbow colors signify the same thing as they do on Earth. Is what you're saying? They're obviously yes a clue <laughs> to the LGBT nature of what is going on. But it was such a weird outcry because there was so much heterosexual sex and lady on lady action in season one of Game of Thrones. And then there was this off camera, you know, man on man sort of encounter. And and people were like, what was that? That was beyond the pale. I don't understand. And so I don't know. It was it seemed very silly to me. But yeah, Renly, we don't see this episode, but he is another contender for the throne. So if I'm. Correct, right? And please correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, I, I, one of the things about Game of Thrones is that they do throw a lot of information at you. I've watched this episode twice, and there's still some things I, I haven't quite picked up on. Uh, so 
Rob Stark, Ned's son, obviously waging a war of independence for the North, uh, and is trying to unite with Renly, if I'm not mistaken, right? Well, Rob, in this episode, Rob sent a, an envoy to the Lannisters saying he would broker peace, you know, if they returned his sisters and let him be the king of the North. And then he also, yeah. He also his sent his mom to, to, to go talk to Renly right. because he assumes that the Lannisters are going to reject that offer of right, peace. Right, So, And then separately, Stanish is making his own play for the throne by spreading this not uh, this rumor that happens to be true that Joffrey is the bastard son of, uh, or not the bastard son, well, yeah, the bastard son, but also the incestuous son of Cersei and Jaime, right? Right. Uh, but speaking of that scene where uh, Rob Stark sends his, his mother to go join with Renly, I really enjoyed it. Here is a clip from that scene. It's tomorrow. You'll ride south to the Stormlands. Why in the name of all the because gods would you... I need you to negotiate with Renly Baratheon. He's rallied an army of 100,000. You know him. You know his family. I haven't seen Renly Baratheon since he was a boy. You have a hundred other lords. Which of these lords do I trust more than you? If Renly sides with us, we'll outnumber them two to one. When they feel the jaws beginning to shut, they'll sue for peace. We'll get the girls back. And we'll all go home. For good. I will ride at first light. We will all be together again soon, I promise. You've done so well. Your father would be proud. Just in general, it always gets me to have these like parent child scenes. Do you know what I mean? Where like they uh, they kind of cement their bonds, and uh, I uh, that stuff's really moving to me. But and, and this scene was uh, was also quite moving for me. In general, what I really enjoy about the show is how much change happens to these characters on like an episode-to-episode basis. I was talking with uh, my colleague Emily Yoshida about Mad Men and how Matthew Weiner was saying how, like, oh, at the end of this series, Mad Men, uh, you're going to look back at the beginning of the series and be, and be nostalgic and then say, oh, my gosh, like, these characters have changed so much. They were so innocent back then. And we already are able to see that from one season worth of, of Game of Thrones, where if you compare like the, the, the pilot episode or the season one, episode one to this episode, so much has happened. Like Sansa, she was all like eager to get out of the North. You know, she's like, oh my gosh, I, I still want to marry Joffrey and, and be at King's Landing. Meanwhile, that's turned into her own personal hell. Ned's dead and his son uh, has had to kind of ascend and, and take his place and, and be a man. And his mom has had to deal with these, these changes. Uh, Rob's mom has to deal with these changes. So uh, seeing all these characters change, I think, is one of the most rewarding elements of the show. And I'm very excited about what changes are in store for this season as well. Um, Joanna, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Oh, I just I wanted to agree completely. I think the scene at the beginning with Sansa was one of my favorites because 
she, you know, that little that little actress did such a good job with the petulant, you know, whiny, I want to have all of his babiesness of Sansa <laughs> in the first season. And, you know, and here you show you see her trying so hard to play the game, stay alive, right. save save that knight who they were gonna kill. You know, she's trying to play Joffrey, but not too overtly. And um, yeah. I love that so much. And of course, there's there's Arya, who's not, you know, she she's spunky as ever, but she's in such dire straits. Well, she that, doesn't say um, a single line during this episode, I don't think. Right. Which is kind right. of a bummer. I like, I she's one of the characters I wanted to know most about what happens to her because, um, and again, you already know what happens, but for me, who doesn't know what happens? Uh, happens it's like she did all this sword training you know and there's these really ominous shots in the trailer of her being like a threatening character so i'm wondering like what's gonna happen to her who is she gonna kill and so on and so forth uh i i can't wait to find out and so i was disappointed that we only got a, a brief glimpse of her uh other plot developments that happened this episode we got Jon snow uh and him going out north of the wall uh, meeting uh, uh, yet another unsavory character. Uh, it, it's just what what is with this show and like introducing you to characters that are so freakishly against the norm of society, like our society, uh, violating all these horrific taboos. In this case, incest and also um, uh, pedophilia, right? And basic hygiene. I mean, come on, What's they're drinking weird? out of skulls. Oh really? I didn't. I didn't notice that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. But yeah, they. They. Uh, George R. R. Martin loves his incest. There is, and the thing is, it's shot so it's shot in a way as to like maximize the disgusting impact of that scene. Like he grabs his wife, quote unquote, wife's butt, and like the camera like slowly pans up, and you just know when it gets to the top, you're gonna see like some twelve year old girl, and uh, that is what you saw. It did not disappoint. But then. Um, Jon Snow and his uh, the the guy he's a steward of, um, I, whose name escapes me at the moment. Uh, they have this moment outside where he's like, "Do you want to lead?" And he's like, "If so, learn to follow." Right. Right. Uh, I, I don't think there's been that many. Cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there have been that many instances where it's been made clear what Snow's ultimate fate is going to be. Right. Like that. That he was kind of preparing him to be a leader. I know they had a moment in season one. But was it explicit in season one that he was training him to be a leader? I think it's, you know, why else would he pick him to be his personal steward and not one of the rangers in the Night's Watch? And I think, if I remember correctly, I think it was Sam, his, you know, basically Samwise Gamgee, Samwell, his little portly sidekick who says, you know, obviously he wants you to lead. That's why he's having you do this. Otherwise he'd be outranging, you know. No, I remember that. I remember that. But I don't don't think he ever made it explicit in the way that he did in this episode. No, you're right. Okay, okay. So this is like – and I think that realization, you could see it on John's face that, oh, okay, I guess validation for everything that I've been doing, you know. Um, There's kind of realization that he has that that's what's going on. Um. So yeah, and then of course, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of other plot developments. Cersei has that amazing scene, and this this uh, this line that will live on forever in the annals of uh, of TV history of power is power when right. she uh, messes up Littlefinger real bad. Uh, a- anything else from this episode you feel is notable? I mean, I I don't want to just recount all the plot details, but is there anything that you thought was particularly well executed here? 
I think that um, I liked all of the Cersei scenes. I wasn't fully sold on um, it's Lena Headey, right? Or Headley? Yes. Lena yeah, Headley. Lena, Lena Headey, I think. Yeah, her performance last season, I wasn't fully sold on um, all of that. But seeing her not so much playing the nagging wife, but more the power broker this season, uh, or the, at least this episode, I really loved. I love anyone who slaps Prince, or sorry, King Joffrey in the face. Um, so that was a great moment for her. And um, yeah, I, we, you know, Dave and I have had a couple discussions, or you and I have had a couple discussions about me not spoiling things. But there was another character who we met this episode who is one of my favorite characters, and I'm not even going to go into it, but I was really excited to see him. So Okay, well, I have no idea who you're talking about, but here's a clip from the this episode uh, that is pretty shocking for a lot of people. What are you asking? I'm asking if he fucked other women when he grew tired of you. How many bastards does he have running? <laughs> what you just did is punishable by death. You will never do it again. Never. That will be all, Mother. I thought Lena Headey was great in this episode. There's a lot of moments when she's just kind of looking off into the middle distance, and you can kind of interpret what it is she's thinking. Uh, The opening scene we played for you is one of those. This scene is also one of those where uh, it's a shocking scene when she slaps him. Everyone, like, looks because they are all shocked, too. And then they go right back to working because they know that if they keep staring, they're all they're all dead. Um, but I, I just see when she slaps him and then he warns her off. Uh, she's kind of pondering my my interpretation. Is she's pondering like, what monster have I created here? You know, or what what is yeah what is going on here with this child of mine that is a sociopathic and b all powerful. Uh, and see, kind of a jerk to her, you know, and, and, and there's nothing she can do to stop it at this point. Uh, so my guess is she's pretty horrified by her creation. Yeah, well, and you saw a little bit of that at the end of last season when he beheaded Ned Stark yes, against her wishes. You, you did see that. So. <laughs> um, but you only got a taste of it, Les. Right. And, and this, it's really out full bore for you to uh, to see what's going on. But... Yeah, I, I can't imagine what she's going through as a mother. <laughs> uh, but Joffrey, I gotta say, Joffrey, uh, so well played uh, in, in this show because you really just hate him so much. Do you know what I mean? I hate him so much. And, and the thing, the thing that I think the show is good at generating that makes me really uncomfortable is that there's this constant threat that anyone could be killed at any time for. No reason whatsoever. You know what, what analogy I actually drew, and this might be grossly inappropriate, but it reminded me of when I was, um, you know, like reading and learning about uh, Iraq post invasion and how like things sucked when Saddam Hussein was there and he did some pretty atrocious things, but that after the invasion and after the Iraq war was dissolved, it just became unpredictable. Like, things sucked back then, but at least people knew, like, okay, here's what you don't... Like, you don't speak out in the press or else you'll get beheaded or whatever. You know, like, something bad will happen to you. But at least they knew what the boundaries were. 
And here, I feel like, and then, you know, post-American invasion or whatever, it was like people didn't understand what the boundaries were anymore. Like anything, you know, an IED could blow up in the middle of nowhere. You don't have no idea what's going on. Um, I feel the same way here. It's like uh, that Joffrey's reign has kind of unmoored the sense of order and security that used to exist before that anyone could die at any point for any reason, no matter how insignificant. Um, Am I interpreting, am I reading too much into this? (laughs) I don't know about your contemporary parallels, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I will say the most horrific thing I think we saw this episode was the, you know, the guard marching into the brothel and murdering a baby. Okay, well, well, on that point, by the way, so the idea is that Joffrey or maybe Cersei ordered the execution of all of uh, Robert Baratheon's bastard children? Bastards. Do you want to know who? I don't know if that's... Oh, okay, okay. So so we're not supposed to know at this point then, but it is... Well, I think think they implied it. It's the Queen's orders. The Queen's orders... For all the bastards to be killed. See, yeah. that, that kind of just came out of, like, I, I've watched the episode twice, and it was not particularly clear what was going on. Uh, and I've read, you know, recaps that explain what was going on, but it wasn't particularly clear to me that, like, why they were killing uh, all these babies, right? Well, was it, yeah. Well, th- I did I miss when something? You see, when you see them torturing the blacksmith towards the end, and right. then you see the young man who's with Arya, and we met him last season... He was the first of Robert's bastards who Ned met when he was going around and meeting all the bastards. And I think he met that baby in the brothel, too. Lord Baelish introduced them. So, um, you know, I don't know that it was super, super clear, but I think by bringing in the the bastard who's on the road with, with Arya, I think they tried to make it clear without spelling it out for you. So Yeah, fair enough. It, it just, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it was not clear to me and I had to had to read up on it but uh, certainly a very horrific scene and um, very shocking right you're, you're yeah what did you th- what did I, you make of that final well, scene what what you've come to expect from Game of Thrones I think especially with the death of Ned Stark Sean Bean is this like how can they shock you further you know what i mean the the series started with a brother and sister having sex and a kid being pushed from a tower you know what i mean right. <laughs> ever since then it's just been one atrocity after the next they just have to keep know? one-upping themselves <laughs> exactly so why not murder babies this time um but the the episode started with that that tourney at king's landing that you know joffrey had ordered and the knight falls off the walkway into the ground and then they drag him away and there's all this blood on the ground and it's sort of frothing and making this slurping noise as they drag him. And everyone I was watching with had a sort of moment and you knew you were back in Game of Thrones, you yeah. know, like there's here's let's start with a giant puddle of blood. Welcome to Game of Thrones. Season yeah. two, you this, know, this season definitely is off to a great start, in my opinion. Uh, and yeah, just. It, it really is mind-blowing how they ended it. Just like such a horrific uh, experience to watch. I, I don't think they, they don't actually show the knife going in, right? It's just the implication of it is enough to be horrifying. Right. Uh, like they spun, the camera spun around just in time so you didn't have to see it. Right. And, yeah. then, and then like like grown men in suits of armor drowning children by holding them right. down. You know what this reminded me of actually? Uh, that, that entire scene? Uh I listened to a Radio Lab, which is the uh, 
the podcast um, about it's a lot about science and stuff like that. And th- they discovered that, um, uh, like, based on DNA, uh, that Genghis Khan uh, may have fathered roughly like that point five percent of the male population of the world uh, can be traced back to Genghis Khan uh, or roughly 16 million descendants, right? Can be traced back to Genghis Khan. I might be a descendant of Genghis Khan, basically, because Genghis Khan just had sex with so many women. That's what it reminded me of. This final scene is like, there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of, uh, of, of children that, that just need to be executed. Basically, if you have, if you, if you live in Westeros and you have dark hair, you're in trouble. You're right. under suspicion. Thankfully, Cersei or whoever ordered this thing, right, had meticulous records about who, who Robert slept with and who the bastards were. So uh, they were able to target very, uh, very distinctively. But in any case, I, yeah. I have a question for you. Can yeah. I ask you a question Please. about the season at large? How do you feel? You know, there was a New York Times article last week that um, discussing this this season of Game of Thrones and um, how unmoored the show might be without Sean Bean in the lead, without a hero that we can all identify with and root for, you know, what are we to do this season? I don't agree necessarily with the article, but I'm just curious what you think without that clear hero, how, like, what do you think about this season to come? I mean, I think in a lot of ways they're positioning Rob as the hero, but he just he does not have the charisma and ruggedness of Sean Bean, uh, and he doesn't have the star power. The actor doesn't have the star power either, so they can't position him like in the promotional materials for the show, right? Okay. Um, Dinklage is the lead at this point, or one of the big leads, but um, you know it, it's hard to for. for uh, a variety of reasons I can imagine it might be difficult to build the show around him uh, from a promotional perspective. Uh, but in terms of artistically and the storytelling, um, I think the show has kind of advanced beyond Sean Bean, right? Like that it's that it has become more – it always was more than just about this one character in a fish-out-of-water situation in King's Landing. Um, and with his execution last season, that just made it official, that this show is a sprawling, expansive story. They don't need one character uh, to kind of center everything around. So that's, I mean, my, it doesn't bother me at all. But I can see why it might bother some people. Uh, but yeah, from, from a promotional perspective, I see why it's challenging. From an artistic standpoint, uh, I think the show is probably going to be okay. Because there's so many people to root for, you know? And who do you think, uh, character-wise, who do you think is the number one character that pe- people are rooting for? Is it is it Tyrion Lannister, who's morally ambiguous? Is it one of the Starks? Is it Jon Snow? Is it um, Danny and her dragons? Like, who do you think the the viewers are with this season most of all? Well, I think Tyrion is more like a uh, kind of like a jester character in the or you know in the sense that he. Not, he's not actually a jester, but I mean, like, he's the guy that points out the absurdity of things. He's kind of an, uh, not an audience surrogate. What is the word I'm looking for? Do you know, the, um, not the Greek chorus either. I, I don't know what archetype I'm reaching for right now, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he's just the guy that, um, he's like Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so, even though you like him as a character, I don't think you can actually root for him too much. Uh, 
I don't know. Even as I'm saying that, though, I I do kind of root for him because he has been through a lot in his life, and you want him to succeed. But Daenerys, I think you also want to succeed. The only person you don't want to see succeed is Joffrey. I really feel like right. So right. So I'm rooting for all the characters. Daenerys, uh, not really Stannish because he's he's not portrayed in a very sympathetic light in this episode. I think he's going to be more uh, of a complicating factor than he is a, a, a factor who you are rooting for. But yeah, uh, between Rob Stark, Jon Snow, and uh, Daenerys, you know, I think I think uh, those are the people who I'm, I want to follow, and of course Arya as well. And I'm curious to see where the Sansa makes out of this thing alive, which uh, I feel like is pretty unlikely, but who knows? So, and if you could put anyone on the Iron Throne today, having seen this episode, which which of the contenders? So you've got Renly, Stan- Stannis. Rob, Danny, who would you put on the throne? Right I just now? feel like we don't know anything about these. Like, I, I don't think we know anything about Stanish. I don't think we know anything about Renly, other than that he might be gay. Uh, and so, really, the <laughs> the only ones we know are Rob and Daenerys, right? And uh, so, obviously, I'd, I'd probably vote for Rob because I don't know how good of a ruler Daenerys would be. Uh, that whereas Rob has shown himself already very competent at commanding large groups of people then again as the show has made clear uh good commanders and good uh good fighters don't necessarily make good kings correct so, yeah i think true. who we really want to be uh a leader here is bran he, that, that clearly they're they're grooming him to be uh to be the guy who's who, bran is the man with a plan if you know <laughs> so Bran, who has to drag himself across the ground on his arms, will yeah. rule this kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, you remind me. So, first of all, the interest in this podcast uh, has been very high by SlashFilm.com standards. We posted this, uh, the, our first two-minute episode at SlashFilm.com, and got 48 comments uh, on this posting at SlashFilm. So, that was pretty cool. Um, but I just love this exchange that uh, the Green Malice said. He's like, can't wait for another season of Eddard Stark. And then someone commented, I think there's something we need to discuss. And he said, I misspoke. I meant another season of Call Drogo. And then someone said, try again. And, uh, and then he said, Bran's legs? <laughs> which, I was, <laughs> which I thought was pretty mean. But uh, very clever. Anyway, yeah. So that's, those are my predictions and kind of my feelings at the beginning of, of this season. Um, is, without giving anything away, is there anything you're looking forward to? This season, in terms of a character, like I'm saying, name a character whose arc you are looking forward to seeing this season. Um, or, of the characters we already know, so that's not giving anything away. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is really hard. Yeah, Do you yeah. know how hard this is, Dave? I, I, um, I know how hard it is. Okay. <laughs> without giving anything away, um, I think Arya's... Uh, Arc is, I mean, she's such a great character. Yeah. She's such a fun and spunky character, and she goes through a lot. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to her. And you you got to admire, too, like how ridiculously talented the child actors are on this show. I don't think I can recall seeing a better set of child-slash-young adult actors. Because uh, they're just all so convincing, and none of them are grating except for Joffrey, and occasionally Arya, but she's supposed to be that way. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think Maisie Williams is the perfect Arya. I think she's so good. And, um, you know, you just, you're rooting for her so, so much. And 
when she, you know, yeah, like you said, when she's supposed to be childish, she's childish. And when she's supposed to be brave and spunky and cool, she's brave and spunky and cool. And so um, I really like her. I think the actress who played Sansa was so good, like we said, so good last season. And so we'll see how well she does this season showing the maturation of the Sansa character. And um, yeah, you're right. The kids are fantastic. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. All right. Anyway, that's our discussion of Game of Thrones season two, episode one. Uh, the North remembers awesome premiere. This show is back, baby, and I can't wait to see the rest of the season. Joanna Robinson, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? Every day on pajiba.com. That's P-A-J-I-B-A.com. Or on Twitter at QuitYourJRob, Q-U-I-T-Y-O-U-R-J-R-O-B. You can find me at Twitter.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y, and DaveChen.net. Find all the episodes of this show at GameOfThronesPodcast.com and email us at acastofkings at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.